day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Full String Press, for this great studio. So today, I'm thrilled Terrence Carfrey from Temple is with us. Terrence, how are you? I'm well, Mark. Good morning. So, um, Terrence, where, where, your accent gives you away, but why don't you tell our listener where you're from? I am glad my accent still gives me away. I've been in the States for about uh, 13, 14 years now, but I'm from Australia originally. What part of Australia? Southeast Queensland, the area around Brisbane Gold Coast. Right. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I had in my first seven customers with Wavefront, I had a company called the Video Paintbrush from Sydney, and it took me 10 years to go and visit them. By the time I went, we had three or 400 customers there. I just loved it. And mm. someone said Sydney was like Seattle without the rain, huh. which was interesting, and that the cosmopolitan nature of the people, the, the it was English, so I could understand, and the, the money I could understand, but everything else was very foreign. So it was an interesting place to go and have a foreign experience yet still feel comfortable. You know, my experience of Australia, especially um, actually even the West Coast, <clears throat> is that California and, and Australia have a lot of similarities. They're kind of like sister countries to me. And um, uh, Perth especially seems to be one of those places in Australia that people have a lot of resonance with uh, from California. But I'd agree, like I found uh, in, the, in the, um, the, the general uh, nature of the people there that there seems to be a, a laid back attitude that's pretty easy going and, um, and affable. And uh, one of the reasons I found California such a convenient home. Yeah. There was, uh, what brought you here to the States? I originally um, met a couple when I was traveling around in the Caribbean on cruise ships that offered me a position as their uh, their personal Je- health coach. Je- really? Yeah, yeah. It was quite a wild story, actually. Tell me, tell me this story. It sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I had um, I decided to go traveling. I was on a cruise ship, and then this um, wealthy couple from Santa Barbara came on, and they did this big thing of renting out the whole deck of one of the more prestigious cruise ships uh, at the beginning of their six month. Uh, cruise around the Caribbean, which they were going down to meet their private motor yachts that they were going to be on. And uh, they met me on the cruise ship and I was doing some training with the, the wife of the couple. And yeah, she asked me if I'd be interested in being their private health coach for the next six months as they're traveling around the Caribbean on private motor yachts. And I said... Which, which uh, as one does, right? As, yeah, well, I, it was a very... Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a from a small town in, in that area of Australia and uh, that level of wealth and and just that means to be able to to do anything like this, and the um, the display of that wealth that these guys exhibited was, it was a real stretch for my mind, uh, in a lot of ways, to to have that many numbers in a bank account just in my mind of like, sure. what, what does a billion mean? And I got to see it in action, so uh, it was quite quite the journey. How old were you? I was 26 at the time. And it was like, you, it was, okay, I'm going to go to Santa Barbara. And then you stayed here. I, yeah, well, I, I worked with them for three years at that point and then, and then based myself in Santa Barbara. Then I left, went back to Australia, set up a business there for a little while and was invited back by the same family uh, four years after and then remained with them again for another five years. And uh, a couple of years ago, left and realized it was time for me to, to make my own way. So tell me about your business. The business is Temple. It's, um, it's just, just Temple? Temple is the name of it. It's a health coaching studio. Uh, the vision of it is to, um, to be able to create a culture that is allowing people to really claim ownership of their health and uh, to create a community around uh, people that are claiming that full responsibility for their health. And the, the long-term vision for it is uh, to, be a, to be a ground, to be an understanding from which uh, greater communities can be built. I'd really love to see at some point large property uh, being purchased through the, the business concept and then setting up a, a sustainable community of people that are like-minded, that are, are wanting to live uh, under a new paradigm of, of what my and the understanding of Temple's uh, ideal of health is. 
Do you think that um, one of the things I've noticed in doing the show now for a year and having the kind of conversations we've had from people from all over the 805 region, mm -hmm. that their quality of life is at the very top of their list. Mm -hmm. uh, it, because you can, uh, if you're uh, starting a business, one would argue that it's easier to do it almost anywhere else. <laughs> uh, and, and that uh, it's easier to find employees other places. Like all of those kinds of things, the regulatory nature, the pro-business or not pro-business. Yet in spite of that, we have a very vibrant business community. We have a very vibrant startup community. We have guys like yourself who find a way to start a business and you do it. But at, if I were to ask you, quality of life is at the top. So knowing that that's a thing that binds all of us, do you feel like um, health and wellness is maybe higher on people's agenda here in this region than you've seen in other areas? I agree with everything you've just said. And yes, that my answer to that is yes. What I've found here is that quality of life is the the prime reason why people choose to live here. And people that don't have great means are still choosing to live here and right, sacrificing right. a lot of their freedom for that small amount of uh, you know high quality of, of living when they do have their free time. Um, for, uh, for me, the, um, the location of Santa Barbara for my business was a very conscious choice because I have found that uh, the the concepts that we're offering, are, I, I like to consider them a paradigm shift from the typical allopathic, mm. traditional uh, Western model of healing. Even within what is called alternative healing in the Western world, it's still, in my opinion, fairly allopathic. And uh, to offer something that is a paradigm shift, it requires a consciousness that is different from uh, other places where people are very set in that um, in that traditional model. So how, yeah. how are you different? The the fundamental difference is the claiming of responsibility. Yeah, I I, I took note of that earlier. Ex explain that. What do you mean by that? So typically, what I found in my practices earlier in my professional life was that people would come to me asking me to fix a problem of theirs. They'll come to me with this idea that in some way that they're broken and that they need something external to themselves to be able to fix them. And um, for a long time, I claimed that position of being, uh, so to speak, in the, in the psychological babble that I work with, um, uh, their daddy in that situation. Come to me, like, I'll, I'll fix up right, what's broken. Right, sure. And um, uh, the, the problem with that is it creates, uh, in my opinion, a victim culture. So people tend to seek someone who has the power to fix them, when in truth, in my opinion, the only power resides to heal someone within themselves. And so the model that we're proposing is to um, invite people into that realization that healing yeah. is generated internally within them and that there are obstacles or challenges in the way of, of that healing. And oftentimes it's um, psycho-emotional in its origin. And uh, the, the experience of the coaches is to offer our knowledge, skills, wisdom in the realm of health holistically to help guide that person to their own inner wisdom of where they can heal themselves. Could, and this is a hugely complex thing because it's different for every person, but when you're training your coaches, and could we break this down into maybe three things that you look for when someone comes in that is gonna help them understand that they're their own obstacle? Hmm. Um, oftentimes asking some pointed questions around that concept can be enough. Okay. And they may identify. What would be a, a first one? Um, so where do you think this problem is arising from? Okay. And if they say, well, it was because, you know, I injured myself when I was younger or it's because of the food that my mother fed me when I was a child. I wasn't breastfed. Anything external like that, it, there's a there's an externalization of their locus of responsibility. Okay. And so I'll just make note of that. And if someone says, well, I created this experience because it's something I needed to learn and I'm, I'm going through this process of unwinding it. The difference between those two, it may not sound like a lot, but in the world that I work with, it is a fundamental um, 
concept shift and someone who has that idea of, uh, well, I created this on some level for some reason, what I'm experiencing now is a creation of my own and I claim that. And I'm willing what to go percentage about it. of I mean that's a pretty high order bit. What percentage of people actually do that in different areas to different levels so um, if I was to look at the holistic model of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, in different realms, people have different levels of of ownership over that and one of my roles as a coach is to explore where they are claiming that and where they're not and then asking them questions around the areas where they're not to see why that is that they still believe there's something external to them that is responsible for their state of being. So what would the second question be? Uh, uh, Second question that I'd ask someone coming in, um, honestly, I'd want to know what their relationship is to to the concept of God, what their relationship is to the concept of source or existence. And that's the second question. You know, I'd huh. like to make that the first question. Really? <laughs> Claiming ownership over that is something uh, is challenging. So it's me. God or spirituality or whatever that, I mean, the, the way you ask that question can be interpreted you know, so many different ways. Right. You throw the word God out and then suddenly you've got a whole bunch of different meanings to that word. What right. it means to each individual is going to be completely different because it's a very personal relationship to that concept of the all. Um, Offering up that question, I recently said uh, in a in an intimate conversation with a friend who was uh, doing some coaching work with me at the time, um, I said that that would be my ideal first question that I'd like to ask every client. And they said, well, why don't you? And I said, oh, I just it's a bit scary to ask that. I'm afraid that I'm going to scare people away. But the truth of my experience has been that that relationship is defining of all the relationships of the levels um, within that, of the way our mind thinks, the way our emotions feel, and the way our body represents itself. So um, at some point, I get to that question, and I'll, I'll usually pose it in a way that is palatable to the person that I'm working with. So I would suggest that it being so important to you Mm -hmm. that there's this idea of qualifying and disqualifying questions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we're looking, and I'm I'm talking about onboarding and, and, you know, like, is this person a potential client for me, Mm -hmm. a prospect, right? Mm -hmm. So we tend to ask questions that qualify. Mm -hmm. And in your case, it's almost like you're, I get a sense from having known you that you're going to work better if you know that there's a spiritual dimension or some higher order bit to that person that you can tap into, whatever that is, that that exists, as opposed to them being uh, atheist. Actually, I don't agree with that. Uh, ah, ah. That, the, that question itself is for me to build a framework on where to meet them. There's the concept of meeting our clients where they're at. If someone okay. comes in and says, I have knee pain and I have um, uh, a, a sore neck, and I say, well, okay, what do you think is the reason for that? And I said, well, I, I, I've been hiking too much lately, and, um, and I think the backpack that I'm wearing is hurting my neck. I said, do you think there are any other causes for why you may have knee pain and neck pain? They say, no, that's it, and I just want to work on that. I choose to meet that person where they're at and then just work on the physical. And then I may introduce deeper concepts of, well, do you think there's an emotional connection to this? Or do you think there may be a nutritional component to this? Could the aching in your knee be a result of foods that you're eating that are creating an inflammation response in your body? And then if they're like, no, 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 it's purely because of the hiking, then it's my obligation as a coach to meet them where they're at and then to guide them through that process of their own healing. Because they've claimed responsibility at the physical level of that knee pain Um, and then my aim is to guide people toward the realization of perhaps everything that is happening serves some purpose for them and one of my key values is this idea of suffering serving purpose if we can say that again suffering serving purpose if we can if we can make suffering have a purpose um, I believe that that allows for for meaning to be brought into daily existence it takes when suffering has meaning uh it seems to lessen the burden of the suffering in the experience that i've had so give me some other examples of that okay we're digging deep here um say you've got a a a a person that in their in their childhood they had an experience of um some sexual abuse and um, that sexual abuse has led them to making poor partner choices 
throughout their life. And there may be a, a resonance to that, that, you know, when they're a teenager, they had, say, it's a woman that was abused as a child, that when she's a teenager, she has some experience with a man that sort of continues with that abuse. She has this charge in her that's attracting a man that's creating that same experience again yes. to some degree. And then she leaves her experience of that relationship because it's too painful and she goes to the next one and it's the same and then the next one and it's the same and it keeps recurring in this vibratory pattern throughout her life, this cyclical pattern. In my experience, when we can bring purpose to that pain, that suffering, and see that event of those relationships as being a teacher, as being an offering for you to be able to explore what is the meaning of this? Why am I inviting in this experience? And why am I attracted to these partners that are reminding me of this experience? It's to go about healing. And I believe that, um, I wrote a little poem a little while ago in trying to understand this concept. And I said, um, um, may the light of awareness shine upon our inner garden so that those seeds of trauma may sprout and blossom into the flowers of acceptance. And for me, that identifies that we have these latent traumas from our All the time. Everyone. There's not a person that I've met that doesn't. And when we bring that light of awareness onto those trauma experiences, we can then provide meaning to the suffering that has been there the whole time about it. And they blossom into these flowers of acceptance. We then have the internalized um, empathetic capacity to be able to relate to others in that experience and show how we have overcome. We've found love, acceptance, peace within that traumatic experience, and it no longer has um, control over us. Do you look at your business that way? Very much so. Give me an example of that. that. I mean, that, so when, the person who's listening to the show, uh, I lost a deal, or that sale didn't close, or um, that great employee just left, or there's some suffering there. I mean, there's the definite suffering in, in those cases, depending on how attached you are to the business. Do you, does your philosophy work in that as well? That seems like a very easy connection for me. I remember my sister, who's um, this multi-world champion triathlete that uh, had, as she was growing up, this picture of Michael Jordan on her wall that Mm. um, had this quote of his, I have... I have failed so much in my life. I've missed this many free throws. I've, I've missed this many game-winning shots. I have lost this many clinch games. I have had this many turnovers in my life, on and on and on. He says, I failed and I failed and I failed again, and that is why I succeed. And the difference between someone that is labeled a failure and someone that is labeled a world champion is that the world champion, in my opinion, or the successful business owner, will see every failure as an opportunity to learn how they can improve. A frequent theme on this show because we we get to that uh, where it it is that and and it's how um, aware you are that you need when you fail to stop for a second and and see what learning there is from that. And and we had um, um, we had a guy on who studies pain. I mean, he's like, I want to study pain from CrossFit. Pacific Coast. And Traver said, I don't understand pain enough to be able to help people with it. So he went up and became a mixed martial artist. Right. Specifically to understand pain. I mean, that's a very extreme example of it. Mm -hmm. But we've had so many people in talking about how we, you know, we we kind of skip over that. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at all, but you said suffering serves a purpose. So if we, if we create a space in our life where we could take that thing that didn't feel good and say, okay, can I reframe that and what can I learn from that? Is that kind of what you're saying? I love what you're offering up here, and uh, I love Traver's approach. He's a, he's a wild man, that one, and uh, in my experience of him at least. The, um, the being with what's uncomfortable For me, that is the manure of life that we get to grow the fertile things from. (laughs) There's a visual. Thank you. To be with the pain, to be with that which is uncomfortable is where all the juice happens. And and that is is a listener. That is not easy to do. (laughs) No. It is not. I mean, that's a higher, that's that's an evolved kind of way of thinking of things. It is, we, we. We run away from pain. We run towards pleasure. We run towards that thing that makes us feel good. We, 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 
actively. I mean, that's how people market. That's how po politicians are marketing to us right now. It's oh, this all this stuff makes you feel bad, and I'll make you feel good. And you're, I mean, where we're going here is just take a second and look at that and maybe figure out, at least own it for a second. Which gets back to your original point, claiming responsibility for your health, even if it's like poor health, it's like, oh man, I feel a little bloaty or I feel my stomach doesn't feel good and huh, maybe I should think about what I'm eating. Yeah, Mark, my experience of our culture is it's, uh, it's really, it seems to be a manifestation of a brave new world. We've got the soma there for everyone, whether it's social media, whether it's drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, uh, masturbation, internet porn. There are no shortage of ways that you are offered to be able to avoid your pain. You, the pain of existence, the pain in your body, whether it be with drugs, the emotional pain, whether it be with uh, alcohol or with um, dissociation. And the the that point of claiming self-responsibility, that is the turnaround when we say no more of that. I'm not going to keep using these drugs to mask the pain. The pain is still there in my body. It hasn't gone away. I'm just using something to hide it from my experience. Instead, I'm going to go into that. I'm going to choose to see pain as a teacher and I'm going to choose to learn from it. I'm going to choose that Michael Jordan path of learning from my failures. And that is the paradigm shift that I'd love to offer through Temple. It's, it's my life philosophy, and it's, you know, really bloody hard. No, it is, it is hard. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Joan Rosenberg on the show. She talks about um, emotional mastery, and she talks about these 90-second waves. Mm -hmm. And what happens is this pain hits you, and if you really were to step back, if you could step back and observe it in a very Zen way, it's kind of a 90-second thing that happens. And if you can survive that wave and not revert to some distraction to distract me from that, just like own that wave, that 90 seconds, you actually learn from it. You get past it. You get stronger. And then it goes away. It is just a wave, mm -hmm. right? It, it, you don't if you, if you can get the emotional strength, then that's why she calls it emotional mastery. How do you, um, that's a tough one to teach. It's a tough one to um, get your clients to understand. Do you have some ways to maybe ease them into that new way of thinking? I create um, a whole lot of structures on how we lead people to those realizations. Mm. And oftentimes mm. the coaching process for us is not so much about teaching. It's about asking questions and allowing for huh. your own wisdom to come through. Um, so I want to say, say just a second. So it's not about teaching, but it's about asking questions. Very much so. I love asking questions. I've I mean, that's that's. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm actually writing a book about the podcast and the podcast experience because mm -hmm. um, we've learned so much. But the title will be "That's a Great Question." And I, I love questions, right? That's the, the whole why thing. So, and it's also teaching is talking, asking questions is listening. I, I think so. I agree with that. What's your favorite part about Temple? Hmm. Honestly, um, the, the realization that I had uh, with a client one day where I'd, I'd been working with a few clients and there'd been some pretty, pretty amazing breakthroughs that had been happening. And uh, hmm. I felt fundamentally changed as a result of that day working with these clients. And um, there was also a part of me that felt tired from being that involved. Just in the this. dream. Yeah. And... Uh, then I realized with one of the clients, I, I made the commitment to them. I said, to the degree that you show up in these sessions and you do your work, as your coach, I have to show up and do my own work to that same degree because this is a co-creation that's happening here. And um, because I have identified in myself a really strong desire to be committed to my process of, of being with what's uncomfortable and, and creating uh, meaning of suffering, that... Uh, I have offered myself multiple coaching sessions every day of my own emotional, mental, spiritual health. So 
the thing I love most about Temple is that it's a place for me to do my own work on myself. Huh. It's interesting. As, a, as an entrepreneur, it's, uh, I think the best ideas, the best products, the best things I've done where I'm solving my own problem. Mm-hmm. And we find that in all the hundreds of conversations we've had. It's, you know, you, you, you have something you want to work on and it's, you find a tribe of people who resonate with that or aligned with that and they want to work. And I, I think of myself as a Sherpa. So I've, I've been down that path and I'm going to bring you along. I've, I've done the miles, right? And I know where the potholes are. But uh, I'm, I'm learning all the time as well, to your point, right? You're learning through them as well. well let's use that analogy of that Sherpa. Okay. Um, in your experience of walking along that path to a certain degree and then ushering people along, the beginning of that trail, it's going to be like, I've, I've done that so many times and walked people along that. So it's no longer interesting to me. But this last stretch that I've just walked, mm. oh, man, that's like hard. And I still haven't got it all quite figured out. But like, here, let me show you where I have got it figured out. So my experience of my coaching is that um, the, the aspects that I'm, I'm drawing in, that attractor rule of the clients that are coming to right. me, seem to be aligned with that part of the journey that I'm still working on. Like I may have the idea that I've got all that figured out, but to be honest, those things, I don't see a lot of those clients in my practice. Like at one point I was working with a, a whole bunch of women in Australia that had um, uh, that, that I can do anything mode and, and working a nine to five job and raising children and, and working out. Super and, mom. Super mom. And then running another business on the side. And it's just like, wow. I'm married to one. And they were super masculine in their energetic experience mm. of directed, mm. focused. Mm. And um, then they were having problems with their hormonal systems because they were just not stepping into their feminine essence as well. And so I had this whole host of this because I was trying to understand that. What is this nature of the masculine right. and feminine energies right. in, in people and with women, especially why are we seeing this hyper-masculinization of women in the business sector? And, um, and then I worked with that for, there was maybe a six month period where I just had this flow of these women coming through that were, were all showing these similar signs of hormonal disruption. Um, and likewise, then there'll be a period, there was a period of time where I was really interested in lower back pain and had all these people coming in with prolapsed discs and they were ready for the surgeon's knife. And I was, you know, critical points of their sure, rehabilitation. Sure. And I had this slew of, um, of, of people coming in that I was working with on back pain. And I don't see a lot of that anymore. And it's interesting because uh, I know that I have the skill with that. And uh, uh, if people come to me, it's, 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 not, a, it's not much of a tax on my... On my, um, my so you like the challenge? You like challenges coming in? I just, I just said I started up a business so I could work on myself like five plus hours a day. So <laughs> maybe that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. Uh, there is a question on the Sherpa. And it's something I'm working on, which is, um, it, you know, you've you've been down that trail, and now I'm bringing other people along the trail. And yes, I'm maybe I'm going to take a new route, and I haven't done this, and I'm going to get good at that. To to your point, mm-hmm. I've been in the last year um, introduced this concept of beginner's mind, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, I've done that, but today is the first time I've taken this trip today. Mm-hmm. So. How do I approach it with a beginner's mind? Where, where are you at on beginner's mind? That's an interesting concept. Mm. There's this one um, series of exercises that I was taught um, from these uh, physical therapists in University of Queensland that they pioneered it of uh, how to activate the abdominal wall, sequencing through the various muscle layers. And it's a fairly specific way to go about it. I've been doing this for maybe 15 years now. And in the last six months, I've got to a deeper level of understanding of this particular exercise again. And this has happened consistently. Uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of beginner's mind. If I can re- maintain innocence and curiosity right. about whatever it is that I'm doing and bringing that full presence into whatever it is that I'm doing, I believe that there's still a richness there. There's still treasures that can be mined Absolutely. from that experience. Mm-hmm. So, so let's bring that back to an entrepreneur or someone running a business. I mean, because you're running a business, how do you um, how do you bring beginner's mind to the business aspect of this? 
Well, for my business, because it's a, it's a service-oriented business and it's people that are coming in, the, um, there was there's a young woman, Sam, in town that uh, uh, I was having a conversation with her about clients. Uh, and actually, no, sorry, I, I, I mistake it. The name was Jessie. And um, she, uh, she's a new personal trainer. She's been doing it for a couple of years now. And um, I was telling her, uh, you know, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with these base level exercises and so mm-hmm. on. And she said, yeah, I, I do often the same exercise with people over and over again as well. And my approach is that, but it's a new person every time. And that is the, that's the wild card there, that I get to dive into that person. So I think for me, the approach of um, making it playful and finding what's novel. I, I'm a big novelty are you? Nerd. I, I love new things. I love exploring the world and traveling. And I love that novelty nerd. And uh, yeah, with Jesse's wisdom, I was able to then bring that curiosity and that innocence in, especially with the person and how they relate to this exercise. And then the exercise itself of these abdominal conditioning exercises that I was teaching um, became new at the same time because there's a new person interfacing with it. So that whole complex was a new thing and my interest was aroused again. You said earlier that it it's coming to where the person is, not and just having that an awareness or an understanding and, and a sense of being so present that every person who walks in the door is at a different place. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, I'm a I was a, in a past life I was a chef, mm-hmm. and I was an institutional chef, and someone thought. God, that's got to just be so boring. And, and I, the way I explained the difference between restaurant and institutional chef was uh, institutional chef, uh, the people are the same for the, I was the chef at Westmont College and at UCSB and various places. The people are the same, so the food has to change. And as a chef, as a creative person, that was fantastic for me. In the restaurant, the food is the same and the people change. Mm. So it then becomes all about the people and you get, you get, and then it becomes all about the, for, as a chef, it becomes all about the specials and how you create things and how you're, you're doing that. But then it becomes all about the people. So it sounds like that's how it is for you. Yeah. in this, in this case it is, there is another aspect of course, in um, being a relatively new business owner, um, there's plenty of novelty around that as well. In my direct one-on-one work with clients, I find that novelty. Mm. For you, it was the creative creativity of, right. of the dishes. Uh, for me, it's the creativity of a new personality and, and that level of consciousness, if you like, or stage of awareness that they're at with their health. Um, in the business, I, I've, I've seen novelty as... I, I'm an avid chess player. I, I tend to oh. spend a lot of my spare time like, Do just you? chipping away at that. And... Um, I saw business as uh, an opportunity to learn a new game. And to me, I use mm. the, the metaphor of business is chess. You know, you come in and then someone's showing you the board and this complex thing, you go, wow, I, I don't know if I could ever master this. And then you, you see the different pieces on the board and the, the different aspects of, well, there's finance, there's marketing, there's sales, there's uh, human resources and things. And these are all the pieces laid out on the board. Then you learn not that just the names of the pieces, but how each piece moves. Right. And then as you go on, you start to learn strategy, basic strategy, yep. advanced strategy, and so on. And so when I started applying that novelty to the aspect of being uh, the business owner rather than the technician, technician in the business, that's where the novelty came in for me. It's like, well, there's plenty of new things here to learn. Mm. What's, um, what's your favorite player? What's your favorite piece? Uh, in the business game, I gather. Well, let's say I'm going to go chess, <laughs> and then we'll work backwards. You know, um, I I can't say I have a favorite piece because uh, the the board works as one. It's you have to see all pieces as unified, and you can't be attached to any one because you may be required to sacrifice that at, at some point. So uh, I I can't say that. that I think that's the right answer, by the way. Thank you. I was hoping that was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it is looking at it, and it's back to you thinking about it holistically. It would that would be the way I would expect you to answer. Yeah, yeah. How many moves ahead then in your business? Because that's hard to do. 
Like, it's like, you know where your goal is. I know what that purpose is. I know why I'm doing this, but now strategically, where do I want to get to? So what's the, what's the, I don't want to say checkmate, but what's that, the end game for Temple? Mm. Um, is it a certain number of clients? Is it a certain? I've, I've broken the business up into four phases. Uh, the first phase being the, um, the creation of a, of a facility that has a workout room and uh, we also have a coaching room and the availability of people being able to do treatments of trainers being Just able to Just the physical out. space. The physical space and yeah. the, the business, the branding, everything in place and then getting the name out there. The phase two would be um, to have a much larger space, a community built up around it and then interfacing with uh, other uh, practitioners in the area that we could showcase mm. their skills, mm. they can come in and then develop their own client base through the, um, the hub that we'd create. Phase three would then be the uh, creation of a, a consistent retreat that we can take people oh. away for immersive experiences. And uh, phase four would be the, um, the creation of a community where the people that have claimed ownership of their health, that they have developed the skills, perhaps their temple coaches, uh, both living on this property as a community. Oh, so it's a place. It's a place. And then they also work in that retreat center that is part of that place where there's residences, there's people living there, and there's visitors that come in that experience this way of living, way of being. And they can take that out and seed it elsewhere if it's something that resonates with them. That's the end game. That would be a fun place to go visit. I think it'd be a really fun place to go live. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Well, I know, I know you're going to, yeah, you're absolutely going to do that. I want to... I want to talk about something. I had a chance to listen to you over at Pacific Coast CrossFit. Um, they do a thing on the third Thursday of the month mm-hmm. where they bring in people to part of their community, right, right to, yeah. to teach. Mm-hmm. And you gave a talk about breathing. And I'd like to take what you did. And you, you said I could talk about this for 12 hours. So let's talk about it for a few minutes. Um, I, I I've said that the Things that will help you the most in life, in my opinion, uh, sleeping, breathing, and drinking water, they're all free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all very powerful, yet we don't do them enough. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, the would, A, would you agree with that? And then B, can we get into breathing? Yeah, I agree with that as a foundation. And I'd actually like to take a little bit further. The, the, we created these seven pillars of temple, which um, we understand as being the, the spokes of the wheel of, of holistic health. And any one of these, if they're out of balance, will throw the whole wheel out and then symptoms and disease will manifest. And they are um, the, the mind and emotions, the respiration pattern or breathing, hydration levels, the nutrition and eating behaviors of a person, the movement exercise patterns of a person, uh, the circadian rhythm and sleep cycles, and the sense of connection to self, community, and to um, something greater than self. So that'd be the seven pillars. And I really love your concept of focusing on the hydration, the sleeping, and the breathing. They're, they're three of those, those fundamental pillars. Um, and they tend to be pretty free. Uh, although water now, if you buy it from a store, I think it's even more expensive than soda. It's insane. But, but, but for all intents and purposes, everything you've talked about except for food, food not free. But really good food is not expensive. It doesn't have to be. What doesn't you, have to be. What right. if you're growing your own garden or right. you um, right. had some right. sort of community? There's, there's communities that I'm connected with here in Santa Barbara area where there's hunters that will go out and, uh, and find some uh, either fish or, or deer or uh, boar that they're offering up to the community. Um, and there's plenty of gardeners around town that have uh, food gardens that are offering up the surplus to the people that they're connected to. So if I, if I really wanted to, I could eat for free. Um, it, would, it would be a, a much more energy investment. Um, yeah, right, exactly. Possible. And, uh, yeah, so those... those so let's go, to, let's go to breathing because I think that's, the, that's one of the ones that uh, we do subconsciously, unconsciously, Yet you've got a, a philosophy around that that I actually um, I breathe differently now since your talk. I'm glad to hear you're still breathing. I imagine that's, <laughs> that's one of the main reasons you're still here. <laughs> um, the uh, this 
respiration in, in Paul Czech's, uh, Paul Czech was one of my primary teachers as I was going through my professional development. Um, in my opinion, he's a genius that has uh, put together a model of holistic health that is, uh, if not the best, one of the best that I've ever How do you encountered. spell that? Paul Czech, uh, his last name is spelled C-H-E-K. And he's the founder of the Czech Institute. Paul Czech. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, C-H-E-K. Um, and uh, he has created this totem pole, this hierarchy of vital functions in the body. And uh, it goes through these major functions. The, the top of that totem pole, the most important vital function that we perform is respiration. Hmm. And if there is any dysfunction in the respiratory mechanism of a, of a human, then we can see flow down effects into literally every other system. It can affect every other system of the body if you don't breathe effectively. The three aspects of respiration that I uh, have broken it down to is whether or not people are breathing through the nose or through the mouth. And the design of the human body is to breathe through the nose. The second is to breathe diaphragmatically. Yep. So when we're stressed, we tend to breathe up in our chest and we'll see our shoulders rise and fall as we breathe. If we breathe diaphragmatically, we would see the belly moving in and out mm. as we breathe. Uh, exclusively without the shoulders rising and that is massively important as well so to breathe through the nose to breathe diaphragmatically and the third aspect is to breathe slowly and uh, the work of professor Constantine Buteyko was the uh, was a real catalyst for me having a, a depth of understanding of just why this is so important so rate of breathing can dramatically change the acid alkaline body uh, balance in the body and the parasympathetic to sympathetic balance which is the regulatory mechanisms of the autonomic nervous system that subconscious uh, aspect of our nervous system so when we talk about eating drinking alkaline water or eating alkaline food when we consider that just increasing your respiration rate beyond what is normal and over breathing can it can just you don't need to do all that it'll just dismiss any effects that the water or the food's having on your body anyway so uh kind of a it's a in my opinion a kind of a ridiculous concept to to chase after the water or or the food to balance um acid alkaline when we could just body. breathe so i go over that again so it's breathing through the nose through the nose and i uh, i ride my bike uh-huh. and i found i was breathing through my mouth the whole time mm-hmm. and i found it my uh my nose is kind of collapsed and I found this through my dentist because I said, my teeth are hurting. And he said, because you're, and I told him it's when I'm riding the bike. And he said, oh, here's what's happening. And he looked in my nose. I said, what are you doing in my nose? You're the dentist. And he said, what's happening is you're having that influx of air and it's, you have sensitive teeth. And that's why your teeth are hurting. You need to close your mouth, but you're not getting enough air through your nose. And so he prescribed breathe strips for me when I exercise. So I put a breathe strip on my nose keep my mouth closed, teeth don't hurt, I'm getting better breathing, and I'm getting more oxygen. And who knew? Mm. Right, but that's to your point. And I have sleep apnea, which is a breathing disorder, so I wear a, a machine at night, but I learned that that's the central cause of 85 different diseases, sleep apnea. Hmm. And perhaps many more. So sleep apnea, when um, over-breathing is, is this concept of the, of the final one of breathing more slowly, most people are over-oxygenating their system, which seems counterintuitive. We need a lot more oxygen, right? Um, unfortunately, no. The, if there's too much oxygen concentration in the blood, then the way that the hemoglobin binds to the red blood cells, uh, sorry, to the oxygen molecule, um, it, it doesn't have the ability to release the oxygen. Mm. So you're saturated in your hemoglobin, but the oxygen is not releasing. And then when the carbon dioxide levels raise by us breathing more slowly and limiting the amount of oxygen coming in, then that breaking of that hemoglobin oxygen bond can happen and you can actually oxygenate your system. Leads to this sleep apnea issue when you're sleeping at night and you stop breathing for a period of time. The body's actually really wise in that, in my opinion, is it's stopping you from breathing to allow for your carbon dioxide levels to raise Mm. so that you can break those Mm. bonds of the oxygen and the hemoglobin. Wow. So here's what's, because we're, yeah, we're out of time. Uh, As much as we started talking about spirituality and higher order bits in the very beginning and we finished on science, there's deep science to everything you're talking about. This isn't um, fluffy, you know, soft. There's, you have a lot of science that's underpinning all of these philosophies. Yeah. 
I've prided myself on, on uh, not just going into the woo-woo realms without having evidence for it. And uh, I have direct experience uh, in, in a lot of uh, different realms here. And I was science trained. I, I did a science degree in university and uh, my science mind is very active and I, I bring that skepticism to all of these things right. that I experience. Um, and there are leaps of faith here and there because yeah, of course. You, know, you get a, a whole bunch of evidence that's pointing in direction but no direct links and you know it's safe to make that assumption at times for me. Um, but yeah, it's, there's science underpinning all of this and I believe science by its nature at some point will come to the realization of a lot of these things that currently are not widely accepted. It's a, uh, it's a huge, we, I think, you know, we produce TEDx Santa Barbara yeah. and there's a, uh, there's a constant, uh, debate in the TED community around pseudoscience. Right. And, um, we're admonished about bringing those kinds of talks to the stage. Um, it's, which is, it's challenging. So we've got to kind of find that balance between the science and the pseudoscience. And it, it actually makes me trust I will, um, what did Einstein say? Is there a 1% chance I'm right? Hmm. So I'll listen to something. I'll go, wow, is there, can I create a space where that possibility could exist? Hmm. And so, yeah. Okay, here's your 1%. I'm not going to just dismiss it out of hand. But when I then find some science underneath that, I'll go, oh. So like, for instance, perfect example, slowing the breathing, the, the whole conversation, it was got technical for a bit there around uh, the hemoglobins and the CO2 and all of that. But I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And it's for me, that actually drives my behavior better than saying breathe slowly because I understand the why. Mm-hmm. Right. The intent is I want to be well. And now the why to get there. Oh, that makes so such good sense. I'm not doing it because you said to do it it's good no it's a dude it's a fact and so this is such valuable information for me if i was going into a coaching relationship with you that now i know mark and how i can meet him with where he's at is that he needs some evidence he needs some solid science to be able to back up what uh is being requested of himself to do and so uh, see we brought it full circle full circle just like that thank you so much We're, we're at the part in the show where um my listener knows. Uh, now, if you're a first-time listener, you heard about this be- through some social media and you heard about this episode, I'll tell you what happens right now. We've had this fantastic conversation. We've talked about a lot of different things. So I want to put a bow around that and I want to give it a great title so that when someone's looking, someone who maybe come and listen to another podcast, now they're looking at this list of great titles what, what do we call this one? Because they don't know you and they maybe have just learned about me. What would we title this conversation? The first thing that comes to mind is concept shifts in health. Okay, I love that. that usually the first one's the best one. That's the one that's... Uh, concept, concept... Shifts in health. I love that. Uh, on our show, we've we've... You know, I'm, I'm going after this conversation of, of leadership, uh, entrepreneurship as part of that, starting up, being in business, taking ownership of your life, all, all of those. I mean, there's a lot of those things converging on one, and I'm looking at them through different lenses, through different conversations with different people, uh, and all trying to get at how do we... Um, I don't want to inspire, I don't want to specifically say inspire, but if someone is is moved to act on something they learned, then I feel like we did our job. I hope. I hope so too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I, how, how do people find you on the interwebs? Really easy to find. It's uh, www.templesb.com. And uh, yeah, we're right downtown in Santa Barbara. We have a beautiful studio there. Come visit us. And you have Santa. online things that people can learn? So our site is um, currently offering uh, information about our services. There are some blogs that are up there where oh, good. I yeah, put a lot of information out about um, uh, these concepts that we've put forward here. Yeah, so and it's building. We're, we're relatively new. We're, we're under a year in. and uh, yeah, it's You're building. still in the honeymoon period. Oh, it's, is that the honeymoon period? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I call it, the honeymoon. It's the, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do? It's all the stuff that's not related to what the business is that takes the time. 
that's all part of the business. And, and we, it's, it's a subject of another podcast, but it's like we've got a great idea. Now, getting that idea into a product or service is uh, it, it's a phenomenal amount of work. Mm-hmm. Getting that product or service to a viable business is yet another order of magnitude of work. Mm-hmm. And, in, and there's fall off all along that way. So getting it, so you've got your idea, you got it product and service, now you've got it to a business, now getting, now the next thing is sustainability. The, one of the keys were I coaching you on business would be that you've identified a, I hear a five-year plan from you, mm-hmm. and it might be a 10-year plan because there's a huge real estate purchase in your future, uh, but um, that's such a good sign because you've got a long longevity to that which is fantastic. Mm, well, thank you for that. Yeah. So I want to I wanna thank our guest um, from Temple, Terrence Carfrey. Thank you. From Originally from Australia, which is one of the – if it's not on your list of places to go visit, put it on the list right now because it is – I wish I hadn't waited 10 years to go. It's so great. I also want to thank California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services – our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press and Cielo 24. The 805 Connect project, now in our third year, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. If you're interested in partnering with us, learning more about that, go to 805connect.com. Look at the partner link. Now, if you have come into this show, you've listened to this, you've, you've enjoyed it, you've learned something, and you think that you would like more of this, um, click the subscribe button on your phone, um, and then we'll deliver fresh episodes to you on a regular basis. We're coming up on our 100th episode here uh, in just a few weeks. Um, If you are so inclined, we would appreciate it. You could rate, write, or review this episode. That helps other people find us as well. If you'd like to send me a note, and many of you do, Uh, Introduce yourself to me at mark at 805connect.com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.